Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Murrin, and I'm the host of this podcast. I have a very impressive fighter joining me today. He is a 7-2 amateur bantamweight mixed martial artist, the first-ranked active amateur bantamweight in the state of Ohio, and he has four impressive knockouts to his name. It's long overdue for me to bring Asher Shock and Rock Frederick onto the show. Thanks for joining me, and welcome to Fortune, Ohio, Asher. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's You know, I've been seeing a lot of people get put on the show, and I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, man, I'm happy that we're finally making this work out. You're finally joining me on Forge in Ohio. You've essentially been on my radar since week one of doing Forge in Ohio. So I'm excited to talk to you about your career and much more here on the podcast. Let's start, though, with how you started in this sport. The physique is super impressive, man. So I'm, I'm assuming that you started relatively young. What initially got you into combat sports? Uh, I mean, honestly, man, I started training and wrestling when I was 16. But the real reason why I got into MMA is I was just an aggressive kid. I just, you know, liked to fight and start a bunch of shit. And and I just started wrestling. You started wrestling at 16. That's not too young. That's at least older than I thought you were. Was there a kind of a, like a learning curve when you first got into the sport? Yeah, there was a there's a learning curve. But as soon as like I started going and just showing up every single day, and wrestling for hours on end and just lifting with the team. It just, I progressed faster than everybody else because I just wanted it more than them. And you talk about being an aggressive kid. Was wrestling and then even MMA to a certain extent kind of your outlet to kind of get that aggression and violence out of you? Yeah, 100%. It, it really freaking saved me because if I hadn't found fighting and wrestling, I probably would be in jail or something something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to fighters before that, you know, they say that the sport of MMA or wrestling kind of saved their life. It kind of sounds like the, the same thing happened to you. Yeah, it really did. Was there a figure in your life, either personally or in the fight game, that encouraged you to get into MMA? Yeah, uh, Uriah Faber. He was the guy who I just looked up to because he was sh- he's short like me. And I just, I loved the way he fought. And it really inspired me. It's like, hey, this guy's short. And, you know, he is just a menace to everyone. Yeah, you got to love Uriah Faber, the California kid. So do you kind of replicate your game after him? I know the physique is super similar. The Even the hair is super similar as well. <laughs> you kind of just replicate your game after him a little bit? Uh, a little bit, but... um. I would say if anyone looks at my game, it's more closer to TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, just because of the way that I strike and I don't really incorporate my wrestling too much. But that's something I plan on doing a bit more. So, you know, that's who personally I feel like I compare to fighting style wise. Yeah, and both those guys are killers, that bantamweight. For you, you know, you started wrestling, and now you're trying to kind of develop those striking skills. What's that learning curve been like, actually having to worry about not only avoiding strikes to the face, but also landing and dealing damage in fights as well? The learning curve is, like, learning just the basic strikes, you know, that's the easy part. But actually perfecting and spending your time seeing where those 
punches land and actually striking instead of just throwing it half-assed, expecting and hoping to hit, there's a complete difference from just throwing it out there and then throwing and having a specific target of where you want to hit. And I think that's what sets people apart from, like, you know, um, your Marvin Vittori's, your Robert Whitaker's, and your Adesanya's. I mean, you look at the way Adesanya knocked out Alex Pereira in their rematch. He rocked Pereira the same exact way in the first round of the of the first fight in MMA mm-hmm. because he threw the right hand, hurt him, and then he flashed the jab to, I believe, Alex's left eye, set up the right hand again, and that's what rocked him in the first fight, and that's exactly how he knocked him out in the rematch. Yeah, it's all about making those adjustments and what an electric knockout that was just a few weeks ago for Israel Adesanya. For you and your striking game, how far has your striking game come and how much further can you really go with your striking? <laughs> That's actually funny because I was talking to a couple guys that I trained with that at Ronin from when I first started. And when I first started, I had a half-assed jab and a windmill punch. That's all I had to start <laughs> off with. And it was horrible and i mean i would say i'm about 25 30 maybe 40 percent of where i could actually be at because now you know i have confidence in my hands i have pretty solid kicks and i'm able to piece it all together now it's just fine-tuning everything and working on the speed that's what i feel like what i'm gonna have to work on in terms of getting it to the next level man that's incredible because when i hear fighters say and a fighter of your caliber say that, you know, you're only at 40% of where you can be in terms of your striking. It's like, okay, you're already so good. How good can you actually be? And I think Mad, Mad Max Metzger, your teammate, I had him on and he said the same thing about his striking. Does that kind of excite you knowing that you have so much more potential and so much more to achieve really in mixed martial arts? Oh, yeah, that, that's the most exciting part. And, you know, sometimes it feels a little overwhelming. But I, I just love the process of constantly grinding and getting better and just be like trimming the fat, I guess, is a better word saying for all that. Hours and hours of reps and reps, making sure everything is clean, smooth. You know, that's that's what I'm excited about. And just, you know, I just want to be at the next level because I see myself there already. And I've trained with people at the next level like Jarrell Hodge, David Vorak and people like that. And I've seen what it takes to get there. And it. It's so achievable to get there. It's just wanting to grind and wanting it more than everybody else. Yeah, man. And surrounding yourself with the best of the best is so important. And you mentioned your gym, Ronin Training Center. I think you're the fourth fighter I've had on Forge in Ohio from Ronin. I've had your teammates Kobe Yellow Mamba Woodall, Mad Max Metzger, and Evan Gelati on previously. I continue to hear nothing but good things about the gym. So what's Ronin been like for you, though? It's really been a, almost kind of like a family. To me, because, you know, we have such a strong jiu-jitsu program and everybody there is so great. You got guys like Jackson. Um, you got a guy like named Juan, who's a solid brown belt. That He's my main training partner. And, of course, you have Vitor Oliveira, world champion, black belt. You have Joe Pulver, solid black belt instructor. And then that's just the jiu-jitsu alone. Then you have Coach Boggs coaching Muay Thai and just, you know, showing us the most ruthless techniques. And that's why we're the best in the Midwest. But I can talk about those guys. But the guy or my main coach who's impacted me the most is Josh Williams. I mean, 
he takes everything that I've learned from Vitor and Coach Boggs, and he blends it so well. And it's just, it's amazing. And it, it's just like we're all one big family. Yeah, and you're kind of echoing the same things that some of those other guys I've had on the podcast from Ronan have talked about. I think it was Kobe who talked about the analytical approach that Ronan implements. Not only those drills and everything that you train on, but also the analytics of the fight game. Is that true, and how much has that helped you so far in your career? That is 100% true, and it, it's helped me in every single fight that I've been in, that I've been a part of Ronan for. So talk to me about some of those analytics. What are they kind of implementing into the game without revealing too much, obviously, but what have they kind of implemented into your game that has helped you in every single fight so far? Um, well, it goes back to like what I said about Adesanya and the striking. It's like taking the small details and perfecting them because, you know, you could throw a punch one way, but if you take just a slight angle, Maybe that punch knocks them out, and it's just fine-tuning the small details. That's really the analytical approach. Or like when you're grappling and you're punching, instead of just burning yourself out trying to caveman pound somebody, you actually are punching with a purpose. You know, you punch high, and they bring their guard up, and then you wham right to the body, and then that just opens everything else up because they're not you're training for a specific look instead of like a spaz. I also see you cross-training at Immortal, and you're, of course, affiliated with DB Trained. How important has that been for you to get those different looks and put yourself in the best position to succeed? It's been pretty good. Um, I mean, I go to Immortal about two days a week. You know, I'm really only there because DB Trained is there, but I love going with Josh uh, Pereira. He and I have cross-trained a few times over the years, and we've started our careers around the same time. I think he made his debut after my second fight but i mean we just we love training together because we push each other to be better and we know that nobody outworks us and that's why i love cross training with them yeah the flying hawaiian is a killer as well just like you are i spoke to you a few months at a db train brand event at immortal martial arts center i won't ask you the same questions that i did there and you can find more information about the incredible nonprofit on social media with DBT, though, you have paid forward a lot of the skills that you have to the next generation of wrestlers and fighters. What does it mean to you to be able to work with those young, promising kids at the gym every single week? It's great, man. Um, and, you know, biggest joy that I get is giving back to the, to the wrestling community and hoping that I have the effect, at least, that wrestling had on me and they have that effect. And they embrace it and they love it and enjoy it because for wrestling it yes it's technically a team sport but sometimes it's almost like an individual sport but it's it's weird because you have that camaraderie and that's the biggest thing about wrestling is the camaraderie and you know that gets overlooked sometimes because you have all these people and you know they're studs and they're busting their ass and i mean it's just, it's a great sport and it's, you know, I just love it. Yeah, I think it's great what DB Train is doing down in Columbus, just in more than just Columbus, really just helping wrestlers and bonding fighters like you with their MMA fight team, but also giving it forward and paying it back to younger kids and things like that as well. I have to ask about the nickname, Asher, and I'm sure you get asked about it a lot. Shock and Rock. It's rare to have a nickname that is 100% unique. So how did you get Shock and Rock as a nickname? <laughs> 
right. So I was training with my uncle when I was 17 or 18. And, you know, he's he's solid, too. He's just as solid as Josh and everybody that, that I consider my coaches. But he was like, man, you never get tired. And so he was he used to joke around and call me the Energizer Bunny just because I'm always crazy, bouncing off the walls and then just having a great time and never slowing down. But then he decided, oh, we're going to call you Shock and Rock. It's because I shock you with my speed and I rock you with my power. Man, that is an epic nickname. I mean, that's definitely one of the best I've heard. Shock you with the speed and rock you with the power. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, that is iconic. And not only is the nickname iconic, but so is the hair, man. We talked about it with your eye favor. I've noticed that you just kind of let it flow during your fights. Why don't you braid your hair? And does it kind of get in the way sometimes when you're fighting? Or is that just your flow out there? I don't braid my hair. Well, I was going to braid my hair for my first MMA, uh, MMA fight. But then I realized, oh, shit, I'm broke. And I didn't know, know anybody <laughs> who could uh, braid my hair. So I just kind of went with it. And it's just kind of been its own thing. Sometimes it'll get in my way, but it doesn't affect me too much. I love the chaos. Yeah, fair enough. Talking to Asher, Shock and Rock Frederick here on Forge in Ohio. Let's get into your actual fights at this point. You debuted in 2019 and started 5-0 and in your career. That debut fight in 2019, though, where you knocked out Jared Dressler in the second round, what were the nerves like for your debut, and how rewarding was it to pick up a knockout win in your first ever fight? <laughs> Oh, I remember being at the weigh-ins and doing the face-off, and I'm just thinking, what the hell, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Like, you know, I, I sat there and I was like, this is kind of fucked up that we got to, you know, square off and we're about to fight each other. But, um, you know, I started warming up. I was a little nervous, but then it just, it's like a wave came, and I just rode the wave, I guess. And then I went out there, heard him real bad off the rip with the left hand, and then we scrambled, and I spent the first round just defending the takedown. Then he ended up getting a double towards the end, and then I immediately popped up and took him down. And then the second round came out, and I used my jab, my teeps, and just sprawled and broad. It worked out. So you talk about the nerves going into that debut. That was obviously in 2019. Now we're in 2023. Four years later, how are the nerves going into these amateur bouts now? I mean, I'm still nervous. It's more like I'm nervous that maybe I neglected something, which is never the case. But that's really what the nerves are. It's like, you know, there's an old saying in the Bible, which, what is in the dark shall be brought to the light. And I've kind of lived almost my life like that. And it's like, if you're not up, you know, at 6 a.m. doing those runs or training and then you're, you're slacking off, that's all going to show under those bright lights in the cage. Yeah, man, that's awesome to hear that. You kind of get that inspiration and draw the inspiration from that quote and kind of drives you to wake up at 6 a.m. and do those two-a-days and, and really get into these fights and, and succeed it like you have so far in your career. I want to ask you about your second fight because you won via a liver kick. I haven't been able to find footage of this liver kick, but body kick knockouts are special, man. Talk me through that finish and the delivery of the fight ending kick. I love the liver kick. That's that's <laughs> my favorite weapon. I actually won my second or third sand off fight, which is Chinese kickboxing. So you can it's boxing gloves 
and you can shoot takedowns. But I won my third kickboxing fight with the same exact technique with a lever kick. And I, I just, you know, I love body shots. And since I'm a southpaw, when I'm fighting people who are orthodox, that body kick, it's always lined up to the liver every single time. Some people neglect that. And, you know, that's the biggest advantage of being a southpaw is you have that side exposed and it's harder for them to block. But also, since it's harder for them to block, my liver's protected on my side from their power kick. Now they could throw a switch kick, this or that, but it's not going to be as effective as just a straight roundhouse, a teep, or a cross to the body when you're a southpaw because you can the liver's perfectly lined up. But yeah, no, that that's my favorite finish. I truly believe is that's, and I hope you know, once I'm at the next level, I'm just dropping everybody with that shot. Yeah, man, that's incredible. So as a southpaw, when you're getting in there. With a guy who fights orthodox, are you just constantly looking to attack the body, not only with punches, but also that kind of signature liver kick that you have in your arsenal? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, get off the center line, move my head, hit him, and then not get hit, and then just blast his body. I mean, my game plan for everybody is just go to the body, go to the body, and just constantly wear them down because everybody can get punched in the jaw for the most part and still be right there. But when you start getting a hit to the body, it saps your gas tank, it hurts way more. And it, it body shots are just the greatest thing on earth to me personally. Yeah, you mentioned kind of draining your opponent's gas tank and you just talked about how when you got your nickname and your uncle talked about your cardio in your gas tank, talk to me about your cardio and how that kind of separates you from other fighters. I mean, my cardio, you know, I personally, to my standards, I never think it will be good enough in my standards. But to everybody I've ever fought, if it comes down to skill to skill and you're out techniquing me, I'm going to make it a dog fight and you're not going to stop me from coming forward. And I don't care if my nose is broke. I don't care if my hands are broke. I'm just going to keep coming forward. And at the end of the day, when it comes down to those type of fights, you look at like Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald too. You look at, I mean, shit, Robbie Lawler's entire catalog of title defenses when he was UFC champion, those were just all wars, and his conditioning is really what won him those fights. And the same thing with Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson's 12-fight run before he got his soul taken by Justin Gagey, he was out-conditioning everybody and just beating them off of his conditioning. So, you know, that's the way I look at how important conditioning is you mentioned that you're never going to be happy with your conditioning and cardio though is that the perfectionist in you talking or why aren't you ever going to be happy with where you're at oh yeah that's 100 percent the perfectionist in me talking <laughs> <laughs> and you're referencing all these legendary fights and all these fighters right now in the ufc just curious you know before you became an mma fighter has watching mma and the ufc now just change how you view the sport? Like when you tune in on a Saturday night pay-per-view fight, are you not watching it the same as you used to because now you're a fighter and you're kind of breaking things down differently? Yeah, my my whole perspective on fights has changed. I, I don't watch, like, I don't watch them to watch them. I'll, I'll watch the same fight two to three times and I'll just sit up there with a notebook and pad and I'll just point out things that I think are interesting or certain techniques. Like, uh, Corey Sandhagen, when he fought 
Chino Vera two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Every single entry that Corey did when he was blitzing forward to come and push Cheeto back, it would be a double jab, a rear uppercut. But on the rear uppercut, he would switch. And now then he would be in, I believe, orthodox or southpaw, doesn't matter. But then he would double jab again and then throw a rear hook. And every single time he would enter with a blitz, he would always enter like that. Views on the fights, you know, just breaking them down. It's, it's been insane. Yeah, this is incredible. You're such a great person to break down these fights. And this might be a stretch, but, you know, whenever I was a kid and I would watch LeBron James on the Cavs and he'd make an incredible shot, I would go to the park the next day and try and replicate and imitate that shot. For you, not everybody can do that in mixed martial arts or fighting, but for you, you're obviously an amateur mixed martial artist. When you see something happen in a big UFC fight, do you kind of get that itch and be like, okay, yeah, I kind of want to try that the next day at Ronin or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are times where I'll see stuff that I think are interesting. And, you know, I, I will try some, like, every now and then, like, in the combo that I'm talking to you about right now, I actually posted that on my story saying, saw Corey Sand- I saw, you know, Corey Sandhagen throw this, thought I'd give it a try. And when I was doing it, it feels really smooth. And I was like, ah, that's why he uses it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible that you're just able to pick up those things from guys at the highest level. With that 7-2 record that you have, do you have a favorite fight, win, or performance where you really feel like you kind of put everything together in a win? Yeah, um, I believe uh, it was my fifth MMA fight uh, versus Latavius Harris. I personally believe that that was maybe my most complete fight, even though I got taken down at the end, which, I mean, I'm fucking disappointed myself on that one i got taken down by a jit a jits guy but i went to the body i mean the guy was six foot so you know hitting him in the head he could just pull his head away and i'd never hit him in the head so i just constantly hammered his body with punches and kicks and knees the entire time and landed heavy leg kicks and just it was weird because he had the reach advantage but i was able to negate that by constantly doubling up and tripling up on my jab on my entries and then finishing. And so I would start high, finish low, or then I'd start low and finish high. And I I think that that was probably, yeah, that would probably be my favorite fight. That's interesting because you have four knockouts to your name, including that liver kick we just talked about yet. Your favorite fight is a fight that went to a split decision for Ohio combat league 13 I see split next to the decision on topology. In your mind, obviously, you were in the fight. Should that not have been a split decision? I mean, talk to me about what the judges were thinking. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to be completely honest. Everybody there that watched that fight, and myself included, we think the judge who scored it for him was smoking crack or something because, (laughs) yeah, that guy, I, I don't think I got hit once that entire fight. And the guy had to go to the hospital with internal bleeding in his liver after the fight. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, that I guess that's why you never leave it in the hands of the judges. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. And we see that more and more today in mixed martial arts. I did want to ask you, a submission win has eluded you so far in MMA, and you're such a dominant wrestler with ground and pound. Are you craving a submission win in the future, or is that something that you'll just let come naturally to you? Yeah, I would like a submission win. And it's funny because I was thinking about, you know, 
that the other day and I was thinking like, man, I really don't have any submission wins yet. When I go to jujitsu, you know, I'm just, I'm not punching anybody and I'm able to just smash pass and, you know, get Kimuras, get Americanas, get Darth chokes, you know? So, I mean, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's the way I look at it. Sure. Once again, this is Asher Shock and Rock Frederick with us on Forge in Ohio. I know you've been searching for and are hungry for another opportunity to get in the cage. How difficult has it been trying to find someone who will fight you? It's It's been a pain in the ass, truthfully. I don't know if anybody wants to fight or if it's just because I'm dropping down to 125 now that, you know, it is what it is, man. I, if someone wants to fight, they'll show up. If I got to jump up a weight class, I'll jump up a weight class. I mean, I want the competition. I want to fight. So I actually didn't know about the drop to 125. Why that decision in your career? When I was out there at the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, I was training with David Vorak, who's ranked number 10 at 125 in the UFC. And I was going with him, and it's like he we're the same height. I have a little bit more muscle than he does. But I saw some of the 35ers, like the Bass Rat brothers, and it's like, how the fuck do you make 135? And those guys are massive. It's I'm too small for 135. Like, I could fight at 135 and probably still beat people, but I, I would personally rather fight at a weight class where I'm bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody. Like, I don't mind fighting at 35, but as a professional, once you get to a certain level, those guys are just going to be massive. Like, you see Aljo, he walks around at 170 pounds, and I walk around at 155 pounds, so when we rehydrate, he's all the way at, you know, probably like 160, 165, and then once I rehydrate, I'm probably at 150, and that's a huge, that weight discrepancy is huge once the level of skill is somewhat remotely close so cutting down to flyweight, is that something you've done in the past or maybe test run? W- talk to me about that. Yeah, when I first started wrestling, I wrestled my uh, first year in high school at 120, 126. Going into your next fight with that new weight class, is it kind of not like a scary thought of having to cut that much weight for the first time in a while, but just talk to me about the mentality of, hey, I'm going to have to start making 125 instead of 135 in the future it's more of a lifestyle change to me personally uh you know i'm gonna have to just be on my diet a little bit more can't say fuck it and go eat a tub of ben and jerry's and then eat a caniac combo from canes you know like three or four times a day and binge eat so that that's really the biggest thing is just you know being on top of my diet and staying disciplined yeah, and you mentioned how it's kind of a, a pain in the ass for you to find a new fight. Your fights and experience kind of speak for themselves, but why do you think these guys want nothing to do with you right now? Personally, I think it's just since I'm ranked number one at 135 pounds, and I'm, you know, I've been beating guys dominantly that are all bigger than me. Now that I'm going to be bigger than pretty much, than a lot of 125ers, it's kind of intimidating, I guess, because. I was beating up guys bigger than me, and now I'm going to be bigger than everybody else or somewhat remotely close to someone my size. So I, I think that's why, personally. Or they just don't want to fight. Right. In a perfect world, when do you think you'll fight next? My hopes are, like, June, 
May, June. That those are my hopes personally. And we're still pretty but, early on in twenty twenty three. How many fights do you want to get in this year? I personally would like three or four. Assuming you win your next fight, you would be eight and two as an amateur fighter. You're already ranked as the number one active Ohio amateur bantamweight on Tapology. I know you want to cut down to flyweight though. Would you try to fight for an amateur championship afterward, or are you looking to potentially turn pro sooner rather than later? Well, actually, my next fight will be my pro debut. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So why the decision to turn pro? Uh, I mean, there's there's no point in me staying amateur because it's already hard to find people fight to fight for free. And at this point, I just need to get paid for it. And I feel like my skill level is at that level to be a professional. Right, and you have guys around you turning pro left and right from Kobe Woodall, whose pro debut is on May 5th for B2 Fighting Series, and Max Mexker, who signed with Bellator when turning pro. Two very different routes in doing it. For you, obviously your next fight is going to be your pro debut. How do you see your professional career starting in MMA? I know, and I want it to be, you know, I just start out how I did my amateur, right out the gates, smashing everybody. That's how I see it, personally. Yeah, that'd be amazing. And if you start smashing everybody as a pro, of course, the money's going to come, but so are the opportunities as well. When I have a first-time guest on Forge in Ohio, I usually like to ask them about their goals in this sport. Everyone wants to become a world champion, but I've had a few unique answers in the past. What is the ultimate goal for Asher Frederick in MMA? Obviously, the world championship is one of my goals. I just really want to change my life, man, because I, I work a very physical job. I don't, I don't want to be pigeonholed at a company for the rest of my life. I want to be able to change my life, you know, and provide for my family. That's, that's really my goal. And, you know, people, you know, that's at the end of it, people want to change the world and they want to change their lives. That's really what it is. Absolutely. And if you don't mind me asking, what do you do as your, as your job aside from fighting? I do landscaping. So, you know, I'm shoveling maybe like 20, 30 yards of mulch a day. I'm, you know, just constant, you know, so that's, that's really the shitty part, you know, lifting stones and that's really what it is. Yeah. That on top of all the MMA training and work that you put in inside of the cage, what point in your career do you kind of see yourself being fully sustainable on MMA and then actually being able to let go of a job like landscaping? How, how many fights in your pro career would that take? I mean, personally, I, I think it'll probably take once I get signed to a major organization. I mean, I may still have to work a little, but not too much. You know, I, I think that when the only way you're really making money and fighting is off of sponsorships. And if you're like, you know, in the top five in the world. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, you recently had the experience to corner, who I'm assuming to be a close friend of yours. You mentioned him, David Morjack, in December. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that name correctly. That fight didn't go his way at the UFC Apex, but just talk to me about that experience of going to Las Vegas, cornering a UFC fighter, going to the UFC PI, and everything that went into that trip. It was fucking mental. And looking at it from a competition standpoint and competitive standpoint, it's like, I know I can be there, but going out there and being it, it was amazing. I mean, the food was great from the uh, nutritionalist at the PI. The training was freaking phenomenal. And I mean, being there, the apex, the corner, 
David, when I was out there, it was like, yo, I mean, seeing like your, my, you know, like Uriah Faber, seeing him there, seeing Dominic Cruz, Paul Felder, and seeing all those guys is just, it was, it was so crazy. It's like, these are all guys I look up to and they're just, you know, human beings like me. And if they're here, I can be here. That's how I looked at it, man. Yeah, how valuable is an experience like that as a young 23-year-old fighter who is getting ready to make his pro debut? Dude, it's, it, it's amazing. It seriously was just – it was like being at Disneyland almost. <laughs> like I, I saw Alex Pereira. You know, I saw Glover Teixeira. Uh, I saw Saeed Nurmagomedov. I mean, it's just crazy. Right, and you're dropping all these incredible names in the UFC and otherwise. Do you have any standout conversations that you had from that week, whether it be with guys in the UFC, the brass, potential fighters that you admire? One conversation, well, it wasn't a conversation I was a part of, but I was looking and listening. It was Alex Pereira, and he was talking about how to set up his hook. And he was showing it to, I believe, Tiago Moises. But it was him, him, Tiago, and Glover. And he was talking about when he throws the cross to the body, how he throws it. And that, that, and I, you know, I wrote down how he was explaining it. Obviously I don't speak a lick of Portuguese, mm-hmm. but I wrote down how he was throwing it and try, you know, and I applied that to my own game and it, it went so crazy. Like my left hand, you know, just, I picked up so much just off that little conversation alone. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm excited to see you evolve more and more as you develop in your career. And I could very well see you competing on that stage one day before we wrap up anything you want to shout out in terms of social media handles, sponsorship, things going on at the gym, anything like that. The floor is yours. Uh, yeah. I'd like to just give a shout out to all my training partners, like Skylar Bray, Kobe, Max, Mark Antonelli, and just, you know, if everybody could follow me on social media, my Instagram is shock and rock one twenty five. All right, well, there you have it. And Skyler yeah. and Mark, two guys that I, I also have my eyes on. Would love to get them on Forge in Ohio in the future. Thanks again, Asher, for coming on Forge in Ohio. You've been on my radar, like I said, essentially since week one of doing the podcast. So we were long overdue for a chat on the show. I'm sure you're familiar with how I like to end interviews on Forge in Ohio at this point. Help me out here with the OHIO chant. OH! IO! Thanks, Asher. I can't wait to see you dominate in the cage sooner rather than later in that pro debut. I wish you nothing but the best in training, and hopefully we can talk again soon to break some fight news, talk about a big win, either like this or in person once again down at Immortal. Yes, sir. That'd be great. Thanks for having me, man. I greatly appreciate it. That was Asher Shock and Rock Frederick, the 7-2 amateur mixed martial artist who is also ranked as the best active amateur bantamweight in the state of Ohio. He's as hungry as I've ever seen a fighter to get back in the cage to really just show the world what he's capable of. And after this chat, I think we can all agree that he's capable of great things in mixed martial arts. I hope you all enjoyed episode 26 of Forged in Ohio. Until next week, follow at Forged in Ohio on Instagram. And don't forget to download episodes and share them with other people you know. I've been your host, Jake Murrin, and this was Forged in Ohio.